Good morning again. It's a great morning, Easter morning, a day that we celebrate that the one we call Lord and Savior is no longer in the tomb. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for me. Love never fails. And for a definition of love, I would turn your attention to 1 Corinthians 13. Talks about love does not brag, love is not jealous, doesn't keep account of wrongs suffered, bears all things. Go back and look at that chapter today in 1 Corinthians 13 to get a good biblical definition of what type of love we are talking about this morning. Have you ever noticed that in life from time to time that our expectations And our realities don't always align. There may be things we have expected to go a certain way, things we expected to be finished, things we expected to receive, things we hope for that are not being experienced in our current realities. Now, being a parent during Easter helps illustrate what I'm talking about. Have you ever had the idea, mom and dad, grandparents, To have an Easter egg hunt in your own backyard? I'm sure some of you have contemplated that. You had these conversations. It's going to be great. The kids will be dressed in their cute little outfits. They'll run through the grass that was mowed yesterday. It's nice and plush. By the way, the sun is supposed to come out later on today. They'll fill their little baskets with a reasonable amount of candy. Candy, of course, will mysteriously disappear after three days, just like Jesus out of the tomb. You have to pay the daddy tax, right? Moving right along. After the hunt, we'll get family photos together. Everybody's smiling and have a wonderful time. Everybody's wearing matching suit coat, coats or dresses. And for lack of a better way of saying it, it will be somewhat magical, right? But how many of you in this room and listening via live stream, know that that's not necessarily the case. Those expectations never really match the reality. Because the reality is the bow ties get lost and the dresses become grass-stained. Kids are tripping over everything in the yard, themselves and the others which they elbow and high-kick out of the way to get the candy, to find that little plastic egg. Their baskets will be overflowing because one of your relatives decided to go Willy Wonka on you and take it to a whole nother level. The family photos will end up looking like a police lineup with half the hoodlums with their eyes closed and shirts untucked. That is reality. And from some of the laughter, you know exactly where I'm coming from. So that leads us to point number one. Expectation rarely matches reality. For example, licorice jelly beans always seem like a good idea until you bite into one. Lunch with the family seems to be a great idea. It's going to be wonderful until somebody has to bring up politics. You like your outfit today. It's looking very nice. but That's because there were six other options you went through this morning. Now you're thinking I should have wore the other one than this one. (laughs) Our realities really live up to our expectations, do they? Now, all the illustrations I've used up to this point are funny and lighthearted, but however, the truth is, for many of us this morning, 
The expectations we had for our life are falling short, and that's a source of great pain. I expected my marriage would be looking different by now. I expected I was going to stay in remission. I expected to be able to retire. I expected to meet someone by now. I expected fill in the blank. And I convince that many of us find ourselves in this place this morning that in some ways we feel like life has failed us. And I want you to know that you and I are not the only ones to ever feel that way. In our text, we find two individuals that are walking a long, dusty road from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus, about seven miles. And just three days before they're walking that road, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who many had come to believe was the Messiah, had been crucified, and he was dead. And with them died their expectations about having a chance at a life of freedom. They never saw this ending coming, the ending and the death of the one who is going to be their rescue. The realities of Jesus' death were very difficult to bear. Look what it says in verse 14. They were talking with each other about all the things which had taken place. Now we find later in verse 18, one of these individuals is Cleopas. We're not told who the other man is. Some speculate that might be his wife, but we do not know. The text does not tell us. They're walking this long seven-mile stretch from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they're recounting what had taken place over the past few days, no doubt wondering what or how this could have happened, what they're going to do now. Their hopes have failed And probably even wondering if they would face the same fate as Jesus himself. Put yourself in their shoes. Everything they had come to believe and put their hope in is now gone. Look what it says in verse 15. Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. Instead of being overjoyed that somehow Jesus had survived the cross, look in verse 16. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And by the way, the Greek translated prevented means to hold or to seize. That word is only used two other times in Scripture. When Mary sees Jesus for the first time at the tomb, she thinks he's a gardener. And when the disciples on the lake fishing, they see him on the shore, and they're very hard to see him. And who he was. And the New Living Translation says God kept them from recognizing him. They call it a divine passive that God kept them from seeing who he truly was. I don't doubt that, but do remember one thing, and we can't just walk through this and keep going. These two men had just experienced a traumatic loss of a friend, a Messiah, the one who was going to rescue them. It's possible that situation alone clouded their vision. All of us in here know how difficult it is to see and think clearly in the midst of grief. Their faces were downcast, New International Translation. Once again, I like the New Living Translation. It sums it up like this. Sadness written across their faces. Now, I'm just speculating, the text does not tell us, but I'm just wondering, if he was to show up and say, here I am, how hard would that be for them to believe that? I mean, they just saw him crucified and dead. And it's been three days. 
That leads me to point number two. Life failures cloud our view of Christ. Maybe your life circumstances have made you feel like you're alone. Maybe it's made you question even the love that God has for you. However, as we see in verses 13 through 16, just because you do not recognize, notice, or acknowledge Jesus does not mean he's right there beside you walking along the way. Perhaps you can relate to Clopas' companion traveling on the road. You have the sense that life has been difficult. And these expectations that you have have failed and somehow you think perhaps even God has failed you. You have felt like you're walking alone and you've cried out for answers and you feel as though God is nowhere to be found. But this is what I'm convinced of, dearly beloved. It's possible to feel abandoned and left alone while at the very same time Jesus is walking with you. Our circumstances may change, but his presence never changes. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He's always there. Always willing to listen and to help. Even when you don't see he's there or feel that he's there, he is there. Cleopas and his friend thought it was over. They thought it was finished. And as Jesus approaches, look in verse 17. Jesus asked them the question, What are these words you're exchanging with one another? (laughs) You might fully expect Jesus to come walking up and go, Hey, just kidding, I'm alive. But look at their initial response when he asked that question. They stood still. I mean, this was public knowledge what had taken place on the, perhaps the most holy day Passover. And I get to see him stopping and looking at him and going, what do you mean? He doesn't tell them the truth that he is the Messiah. He is the one who was crucified, yet he lives. He had could have said to them, I have been telling you for all three years how this would end, but you missed it. Instead, I want you to see that Jesus listens to their hurts and asks them the questions. What are you discussing? What things have happened? See, Jesus invites them to voice their cause of despair. He invites them to honesty. And perhaps you already know this, but we live in a culture that honesty is a sign of weakness. Look at our politics. Look at our professional sports. Too often we reward dishonesty. And we are conditioned this way. Especially on a day like today. Everyone comes dressed up in their finest, puts on smiles, and we take pictures and we pretend that everything is good. When the truth is, for many, not everything is good. A lot of hurt and a lot of pain. For many, a brokenness exists that we have been taught we cannot show. Especially as men. Do not cry. Don't show your weakness. No matter how bad it hurts. So instead of naming it or identifying it, we push it down and act like everything is okay. Now I know some of you don't know me very well. And you might, know, you might not know anybody in here, but I'll tell you, this is what we call a sanctuary. You know why? 
This is a safe place because God's people are here. What God's people are, he is here. And at the foot of the cross, there is no division. Everything the world separates us out in disappears in this place. Which brings me to point three. Love listens. Jesus listened to them. It was his love for people that held him to that cross. It was his love that caused him to walk along the road with them. His love never failed them from beginning to end. Now, you can tell Tammy this. I told you how to listen to this, but to illustrate this point. There are times when my wife, Tammy, sat there in the back to my left, but to your right, there in the back corner, back pew. That she want to talk to me about her frustrations, problems. And I'm the type of husband that wants to fix everything right away. She gets eight words in discussing what's going on, and I'm ready to interrupt with, okay, right, so here's what you do. And she has to remind me, I am not asking you to fix this. I'm asking you to listen, to show patience, and let me speak. And I have found there is incredible value in having someone who will simply listen. Jesus listens. He knows there's value in let us getting it out, speaking our pain, voicing our struggle. He invites us not to be afraid to tell him how we feel. Look what he asked him. What are you discussing? He asked those men, what things have happened? Not only do you not walk alone, but we have a Savior who's inviting you to vulnerability. To speak your pain, speak your frustration or disappointment with how your reality has not met your expectations. Jesus is not intimidated by this. In fact, he welcomes it. Jesus listens. Love listens. He can take it. He's God. Tell him how you feel. By the way, you're not keeping anything from him because he already knows your heart anyway. You know, we talk about confession. Confession is just agreeing with God what he knows about you already. But here's the incredible thing about God. He is willing and ready for you to confess it. Experience his love and forgiveness. I don't care what you've done, where you've been through, It's amazing grace. I don't even deserve to stand here this morning in this pulpit. It's by his amazing grace and his love that I'm even here. And I invite you today to experience that as well. Now verse 25, I'm going to skip around a little bit, so bear with me. Verse 25 seems a little harsh. Because he goes on to tell, they tell him what all has happened. And in verse 25, Jesus responds by saying, Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe. Now, that sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? However, Jesus realizes as he's walking along with them and talks with them that they have interpreted the scriptures, the prophets, and all that had come before him incorrectly. Look back in verse 21. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. They had mistakenly thought that to redeem Israel meant that those who had been in power for a long time would be overthrown. They would finally have all the power themselves, and they would set up the kingdom like it was back in King David's time. That was redemption to them. But they were seeing it all wrong. 
Look in verse 27. He explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus opens up the scriptures for them. He explains once again the story of God. In verse 27, he's beginning with Moses, with all the prophets. They had thought that God would redeem Israel from suffering. Instead, the story of God, he redeemed Israel through suffering. No wonder they were confused at the death of the Messiah. This is not how it was supposed to go, yet this is how it happened. And this is what unfailing love looks like. Maybe for the same reasons many of us find ourselves disappointed by God. It's because we have heard and we believe mistakenly that being a Christian means that everything in life will go just perfectly. That we could avoid all the pitfalls and frustrations of life. Many think we can live with one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the world, only to find out it does not work that way. So they decide to give up their idea of Jesus and simply live for themselves. See, the way of a Christian is not the way of authority and position. It's the way of humility and self-giving love. Jesus invites us to give up everything to find the life that he offers. Matthew 6, starting in verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And before that, he's talking about how the Gentiles worry about all these things. He's telling us, dear beloved, if we just seek him and his righteousness, he'll take care of everything else. In verse 34, he goes on to say, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Trust him. You realize there's more to life than what we see in the here and now, don't you? This is all temporal, gone, in a blink of an eye. If anything, COVID-19 should have taught us that pretty clearly. There is an eternity. And there's only two places you can go, heaven or hell. Where are you headed? What blessed assurance do you have? Verses 28 and 29, Pharaoh told him he's acted as though he were going farther, and they urged him, saying, stay with us. As they got closer to Emmaus, he acted that he was going to continue down the road, but they urged Jesus to stay with them. So he does. He goes inside and has a meal with them. And he takes the bread from the table and breaks it. And look what it says in verse 31. When he does that, he breaks it, gives it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized them in that moment. And this reminds me of another moment at the beginning of the Bible, which brings me to point number four. Easter is about two meals. Easter is a, more than that, but for illustration purposes, There's two meals I want to focus your attention on. The first one takes place with the first couple in the Bible, Adam and Eve. Eve is tempted to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The very tree which were there forbidden to eat from. You have to realize something. They're in a huge garden. No weeds, no thorns, no nothing. This thing just grew. And God says, this is all yours except for this one. 
this one tree. Don't eat of it. He's not being mean, God. He, anything in the garden. Can you imagine going to your garden later on this year and just don't have to weed, don't have to do nothing. It's just right there. But when they took of it, Eve took it, and guys, Adam was nearby because she turns around and gives it to him. Instead of saying, hey, what are you doing? Stop. What does he do? He eats it too. Then both their eyes are open. They feel shame. And that's when sin and death enter the world. This meal was at the moment of rebellion. Led to a long-standing curse. You and I of all creation become subject to decay and sorrow. And death now becomes a reality to us. In our text today, we see them around the table sharing a meal together. They couldn't recognize them, but Jesus breaks the bread and their eyes are open. What they see is that that curse that started long ago back with Adam and Eve is now broken. It is through Jesus' death and his resurrection, his broken body and his shed blood that death itself has been defeated. God's new creation is brimming with life, joy, and new possibilities right here in the midst of our broken world. And their eyes were open to this new creation. And God is making this through his unfailing love and the sacrifice of the Son. See, God is reclaiming his creation one life at a time. The kingdom of God is not out there somewhere. The kingdom of God is at hand. And for all the believers that are listening to me this morning, that kingdom of God resides in your heart as we speak this morning. And one day it will be fully consummated when the sky will be rolled back like a scroll and the trump will sound and all the dead in Christ will rise. Ooh, what a day that's going to be. And on that day there will be no more goodbye, no more pain, no more tears. Sin will be totally and utterly eradicated. See, Easter is not about a resurrection from the dead someday after we escape the corruption of this world. It's, now, it's about being a part of this new good and glorious world that is being born right now in the midst of the old one. And as I said, God is restoring his creation one life at a time. Easter is about experiencing resurrection power in our life today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, perhaps one of my most favorite passages in all the Bible. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Tim, you don't know what I've done. Let me tell you. Through the shed blood of Christ, it's like hitting the alt-control-delete button on your computer. It's wiped out. It's gone forever. Do you want a new start? Do you want to have this new life? The only thing that's stopping you is you. Look what they say in verse 32. Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us? Can I ask a personal question? When's the last time your heart burned within you with passion? You felt truly and utterly alive. Easter is not about a Savior who died a long time ago. Rather, it's about a Savior who is very much alive. He meets us along our roads of life. He opens our eyes to his love that never fails. He has promised never to leave us 
nor forsake us. What Easter offers is, to all of us is participation in this new creation. No matter what your life has been up to now, no matter how much disappointment you have experienced, no matter how much t- many times you have failed, you are offered a fresh start through Jesus' death and his resurrection. And his never-ending love. <laughs> there is an old hymn called, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I am not perfect. I fail miserably. Do things I should not do. Treat people I love the way I should not treat them. And say things I should. But great is his faithfulness. As I confess it and repent it. How his love covers me. And gives me peace. And I know we live in a hurtful world, a lot of pain. And many people turn to drugs and alcohol to get away from the pain. But the unfortunate thing about drugs and alcohol, they'll take it away for a while, but when you wake up the next day, they'll still be there, and depending on what happens, it could be even worse the next day than it was the day before. I invite you to come to the one who can take that pain away forever, who will never leave you nor forsake you, who knows everything intimately about you, for he created you. He was there. And in spite of what he knows, he still loves you. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. I love the King James the great love he has lavished upon us that we could be called children of God. I've been called lots of things in my life, but a child of God? And if you are a child of God, you're giving your life to Christ, you are a saint, literally in the Greek, holy one. That's because the blood of Christ covers your sins. Where are you at today, this Easter morning? Where are you at? Do you know Christ? I'm not asking what your religion is. Religion, by its most simplest definition, is man trying to reach God. We can never do that. Christianity says, no, God reached down to man through his son. Do you know him? Not just here, but here. I invite you to come. Have you done that one part of your life, but your expectations haven't met your reality and you've walked away and you're scared about showing weakness, wherever that stumbling block is? Because right now I know what's going off in a lot of our heads because the devil, the last thing he wants you to do is listen to the voice of truth. He wants you to continue listening to his voice of lies and continue the miserable life that you have, lest you hear Christ give your life to him and have life abundantly. Do you need to do that? You will never find a more sympathetic, loving group of people than right here. We will pray with you. We will laugh with you. We will experience joy with you. And yes, at times, we will weep with you. I've seen it happen since I've been here. 
or maybe God's calling you to join this local body. And like I said last week, this is not a perfect church. If it happened to be a perfect church, as soon as they called me as pastor, that went away. Mm-hmm. We're all the same in here. All sinners saved by the grace of God. You can experience the same thing. Please, please hear me. Don't let other people's failures stand between you and your relationship with God. Please, listen to him. Answer his call before it's everlasting too late. Because on that day, it ain't going to matter that I was a preacher, that I went to seminary. That's not going to matter. The only thing that's going to matter, did I know him? Not just in my head, but in my heart. Where are you at? Put all your defenses down and listen to the voice of love. Pure love. And that's your creator, the almighty God. Would you answer him this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love your great mercy, and your compassion. Father, I beseech you, and I beg of you, let each individual that's in the sound of my voice feel your great love and your peace as you wrap your mighty arms around each one, and that you pull them close to your side. Let them know, dear God, that you are here and that you are willing. I ask you to bind the enemy away from this place. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. Help us to listen to the voice of truth, your truth. May your spirit continue to move among us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me, please?